0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. We're going to Genesis chapter number three, and we are in part 11 tonight of our Origin Series study. Origin. Uh, a study of beginnings. And we are in part 11. And uh, we don't know how many parts there are going to be, but we are going uh, tonight to just cover a few verses of scripture. But we're looking at Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And Genesis chapters 1 through 11, the beginning of your Bible. In fact, uh, uh, in chapter 3, depending on the Bible that you have, it may even be hard to hold the Bible open to that part in the beginning, but it is so foundational. There are some foundational things that we are drawing out of these passages that apply to us tonight. And I'm going to teach, but I'm going to tell you, I just had a little time with the Holy Ghost. Depending on how far we get tonight, we may just have some church. I don't know, because this is just so good. But I don't want to cheat it. I don't want to blow through, uh, just just go through it too fast. But there are some fundamental things that we learn. And and God gave this to Moses to put down to give us this study of beginnings. This is our foundation. It's the foundation of where we go to for these topics. And so much of the New Testament where we can read and enjoy the, the blessings of Scripture there that give life, they are rooted in what took place in Genesis chapters 1 through 11 specifically. So tonight we're picking up here and we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 14. And we covered last week the temptation, the actual temptation in the garden where the serpent comes to Eve and to Adam. And we talked through a little bit those processes And so now we are looking at the pronouncement that God gives to the serpent, to the woman, and to Adam, uh, as the Scripture says. And so what we're going to call this segment here, or this section for my outline purposes, we're going to call it the curse, because we have seen sin, or the first exercise of human rebellion or free will, We've seen the first exercise of rebellion towards God in the garden. And now comes this pronouncement, the curse of sin. Uh, And in this curse, it is both uh, punishments from God as well as changed ensuing realities. So not only did sin bring punishment from God, But sin actually brought a changed reality from their human experience. So Adam and Eve were living in the garden. They were living uh, uh, blessed with all of this stuff that was just supplied to them. There's so much. and We're going to look at what happened, what was destroyed. But there were changed realities that now would ensue. And these changed realities that took place in the garden, we are still dealing with them today. Why is it important that you understand Genesis chapter 3? Because you will never make sense of our world today unless you understand how it came to be in such of the state that it is today. When you read Genesis chapter 3, you say, like, oh, wow, now I understand it. Now it makes sense why the world is the way it is. And the only way the world can be remedied is through nothing less than a spiritual restoration of man back to God. So intellect won't fix it, materialism won't fix it, talents won't fix it. Monetary things, whatever, none of that politics, government, systems will not fix what is broken. We are living in now, I I call it ensuing realities of sin. And we cannot change those realities. But through the power, the redemptive power of God, there is hope. We're going to look at that tonight. And we can have a hope beyond these ensuing realities of sin. So let's look at this together. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent. Now for those of you that were not here last week, you will have to uh, remember that we did identify that this is more than just a snake in the story. That this is in fact representative, it is Satan the devil, the deceiver of the world. John the Revelator, the Apostle John identified that in the book of Revelations, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he identified and named him, that serpent, the devil, Satan. So he identified that for us so that we could make no mistake on this. There are many modern interpreters that would say that Genesis chapter 3 is just a story about a snake and Eve. And what we're going to read is just going to tell us how for the rest of time, humans will not like snakes. I'm here to tell you that there's a whole lot more going on here than just humans don't like snakes. In fact, I've met some crazy humans that do like snakes. I I don't know. There might be some of those here tonight. But the Lord said unto the serpent... Because thou hast done this, the tempter, thou art cursed above all cattle. Now that doesn't mean you're cursed above the cows. Um, that's, that's that word for all, all animals that would be upon the land, all land-going animals. And look at what he says, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So there was a change here. So we don't know, but we can understand that the serpent before this did not go upon his belly, did not eat the dust of the earth. So there is both a pronouncement upon the physical creature that Satan is using, but we know this is not a snake or an ordinary snake in the sense that science has ever proven because this snake has an intelligible conversation with Eve. But on that creature that Satan possessed, there is this pronouncement. So we see that. And then he goes on and he speaks beyond that to Satan himself. And he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. There is going to be an enmity between you and the woman. And he said, and between thy seed and between her seed. Her seed. Now, not only between you and their. Now, this is an interesting thing. He's saying, Satan, just because you succeeded at tempting Eve into rebellion against God does not mean that she and all of her prodigy and all of her children are automatically going to line up in your army. But there's an enmity between you and the woman, so so there are not there, there is not uh, uh uh well let me say this because of what the Bible says mankind whether he is living in covenant with God or not mankind is struggling against Satan. Amen. It's in the Bible. So not everyone that is not a believer in God, that is not a Christian, that does not uh, uh, hold to faith, does not put faith in God, that, that could even be agnostic, that could even be humanistic. That does not m- mean necessarily that they are just lining up and, and not fighting or struggling against Satan. In fact, he said there's enmity here between thy seed and between her seed. And then he goes on and look at what he says. It, or another translation, he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So now we see this, we see this, this paradigm here. The woman and, and Satan, just because she fell in temptation does not mean that she's automatically going to be uh, yes to you and everything that you tell her to do. There's going to be a struggle here. But her seed and thy seed, or, or otherwise uh, mentioned offspring the offspring, and specifically of the woman's offspring, we go on through Scripture later on, and we know that it is through the lineage of Seth. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to get into that uh, very specifically. Or chapter 5, uh, the lineage of Seth. And through that, then narrows down to Abraham. And then through Abraham, it narrows even down even more to the tribe of Judah until we get to Luke's Gospel where he recounts the lineage of Christ, Jesus Christ Himself, all the way back, to Adam here in Genesis, thy seed, he says, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So now we have a testified uh, reality that there is going to be warfare, warfare in heaven. There is going to be this conflict, this spiritual conflict between Satan and between the seed of the woman who we know to be the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is going to be a spiritual warfare. He's going to put all things under His feet. But He says to the serpent, uh, uh, and speaking of the serpent's seed or his offspring, we know in, in Scripture it references the children of hell. It also references the son of perdition, talking about Antichrist, those that have fallen lockstep with Satan in complicit rebellion against God. He said, it will bruise his heel. There is going to be. uh, Robert Alter translated it and says they are going to boot him in the heel. There is going to be an effect. There is going to be something that is going to be felt. But notice, and uh, Brother Welch, I see you here tonight. I know that you are, people may not know this, but you are quite the author and you've written a lot, a little bit about this conflict, and uh, uh, taken some poetic license with, uh, as as is totally acceptable with some of the things that Scripture doesn't identify, and talk about this eternal conflict, and tried to imagine some things. Brother Welch is a great author, and uh, the, this is the first testimony to that. But it says he's going to boot him in the heel, but he shall bruise thy head. That there's going to be a crushing blow. Notice that Satan is going to affect him in the heel, which does have an effect, but it's the farthest extremity from the head. And Messiah, though, will deal a crushing blow to the head. That there is going to be a victory that that is coming. So before anything else ever goes on, before we even know the curse of sin or anything else, God Himself declares that there will be victory, and He preaches. We see this in Scripture, us believers. Now, other people would deny it and say, this is just a story of, this is a mythological story about a snake and a woman, but we see this as the testimony of the first mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> this is the good news. They are, where do we find the good news first? We find it at the point that it is most needed. At the point of failure in the garden. I've got good news for somebody. If you had a bad week, this is a good time for good news. If you've had a bad month, it's a good time for good news. If you've had a bad year, this is a good time for good news. It might bruise your heel, but through Christ, through the power of God, He will crush or He will bruise your head. And so here is the first mention of the gospel. Somebody put your hands together and thank the Lord Jesus Christ that we have hope. We have hope. Okay? And now he goes on and he says, unto the woman... He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow, thou shalt bring forth children. Now most translations translate this as I will multiply your pain. And so there is an increase in pain, which... Begs the question, if Jesus, uh, God is speaking to her and saying that I will multiply your pain or I will increase your pain, uh, what context does she have for that unless she has already had children? So again, I've said it many times and I'll continue to say it. The Bible tells us everything we need to know. It doesn't tell us everything there is to know. So we are left to speculate whether or not Eve at this point in time already had children uh, or not. I would think, and this is just personal, I would think that perhaps probably she had. But it's not wrong for you to say no, because it is possible for God to tell her and say It it was going to be painful, but now it's going to be more painful. There is something, though, that must be seen here, and that is this, the words, I will. I will. Now, we read this verse, and immediately we focus on the pain. Amen? We go to the pain. But God said, I will. And what is important to note here is that this multiplied pain or this increase in pain comes by God. That God says, I am bringing this pain to you. Does sin cause pain? Yes. But there is also a very fundamental understanding that God says, because of your rebellion, I am putting this pain in your life. Now that might just play with some of your theologies here a little bit. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But there's a caveat with that statement. Don't try him. Or that good God that you know says, I will cause something to happen in your life whereby you know I made a choice I should have never made whereby you in your intellectual process can say, Lord, help me never, ever do that again. Pain is sometimes part of the process of healing and learning. I don't want to stay here too long, but I I do want us to pay attention to the words, I will. So this was not just an ensuing reality that came as a result of sin, but this pronouncement of punishment, God says, I am determining this. I am bringing this about. So here we see the first mention of pain, and the first mention of pain in Scripture comes by God. Now, he says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And then in another phrase, he says, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth thy children. Some believe that it could be probable that he was also proclaiming, not only will I increase it, but you're going to bring your children up. You're going to rear them. You're going to raise them in sorrow and perhaps he was foretelling of the tragedy that Eve would have to bear as a mother of two sons that would fight and struggle, who also, because of sin and rebellion, one would murder the other, and then that one would carry a curse on them for the rest of their life. Eve, because you opened the door to rebellion... Because rebellion was allowed to come in. Because you went outside of God's plan. There's a floodgate that's getting ready to open up. And in sorrow thou shalt bring forth thy children. There would be, imagine the weight of this as it comes, as it settles in on her when God speaks this. He goes on and he says something else. That is very profound. That I would dare say most of us, at least most of Christianity and all of the world misses. He says, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. This is very, very important because what God is saying here now is that marriage as you knew it is now going to change forever. When God created Eve, He made her. Adam said, this is now bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. She was a helpmeet from the Lord. She was from Adam's side. And there in the garden they lived in harmony. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And these two shall be one flesh. And the Bible says, and they were naked and not ashamed. There was purity. There was unity. There was this companionship. There was this help me. And God says, now, because of sin, because of the steps that you took. and because of the thing that he did, marriage is changed forever. Eve, you did not include your husband and you did not, you did not counsel God. you went on your own after what you wanted. Adam, you stood by, hearing every part of the discourse and you never spoke up and you willingly disobeyed God because you didn't want to lose access to your wife. Both of these were self-serving and now God pronounces that in marriage your natural inclination is going to be self-serving and selfish. Eve Your desire shall be to your husband. Your desire, your longing is going. One translation, the ESV says that it is contrary to your husband and your husband is going to rule over you. He's going to try to take dominion over you. God never told. Adam to dominate his wife. He told Adam and Eve to take dominion over the earth, not over your spouse. She's your companion. She's your help me. But now forever, he said, there will be a struggle between men and between women. There will be a fight over leadership. There will be a war in marriage. And it's going to be selfishness that is trying to prevail. And you are only going to succeed if you look back to what I originally intended, to what I originally created, and say, this is what we've got to get to, not what our natural inclination is. Hear me, the pull of sin is forever taking to love and to cherish, and it's becoming to desire and to dominate. This world speaks the vows before the ceremony, but they don't even have a clue what the vows mean. And in marriage today, what we present is to desire and to dominate. It's got to be to my liking. It's got to be to my will. Well, this marriage isn't doing me any good. You are missing the point. And I'm here to tell you that marriage will not succeed. Hear me today. Hear me today as the voice of God. Hear me today as the man of God. Hear me today as a preacher. Don't look at the personality of Andrew Romine. I'm flawed, I'm human, and I can make mistakes, and I've made my share of mistakes. But it only works when it is grounded in God. When it is under the covering and the umbrella of God. I'm gonna tell you where we lost, where we lost the ba- the battle and the value for marriage was when we made marriage mean anything. When marriage became about us, when marriage became about us, about me, that's when marriage began to decline in our civilization and in our society. And I don't want to get political. Well, maybe I should get political. You know, sometimes I think we got to be careful that we say, I don't want to get political. Because politics touches everything. And where marriage now can be anything. And and I I see some of these people and some of these so-called righteous and religious politicians that stand up and they, they speak against what marriage is meaning today. And I want to say, where were you when we ripped the rug out from under marriage? Because when we made marriage not mean anything, well, maybe I shouldn't go here tonight. I'm feeling it now. When we made marriage mean anything, marriage means nothing. And that's what we've done in our culture. We made marriage mean nothing. And we, we, we signed bills and said, well, you know, marriage isn't going to mean anything, so you can, just, you can get out of a marriage for any reason whatsoever you want. And you go back and you look in the history of this nation, just this nation alone. When we passed laws saying that you can get out of a marriage for any reason whatsoever you want, marriage had no value and no meaning. So we don't have a right to stand up on our political high horse and try to point arrows at sinners who are doing what sinners do. When the church devalued marriage. Yes sir. Yeah. yes, sir. Well, it's been good being a pastor for these last six years <laughs> in O'Fallon. <laughs> marriage doesn't work. There's a great book, I recommend this. It's called Sacred Marriage. I can't remember the author. Is it? Um, Sacred Marriage. Who wrote Sacred Marriage? Anyway, the subtitle of the book is excellent. It's probably my favorite marriage book if I had to pick one. I've read a few. But the subtitle is, What if God made marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What if God made marriage more to make us holy than to make us happy? Yeah. Well, think about that. What do we want when we get married? Everybody want. Oh, they're wanting... To live happily ever after. And what do we do? We chase after happiness, which is a selfish impulse. That's desire and dominate. Not to love and to cherish. Marriage is ugly. Marriage is painful. And if you will serve marriage in the holiness that God established it to be in, the side effect is happiness. But if you will chase happiness as the target, you will neither be happy nor holy. But if we could allow holiness back in our home, oh, I'm feeling bold. I I told us last night we got to pray for boldness. I'm going to tell you, you cannot fix a home problem just by showing up at church. You cannot fix a marriage problem just by. Some other kind of thing. You've got to allow holiness to envelop you. You've got to allow God to say, God, I want to live by your principles. I want to live by your ways. I'm glad Adam and Eve got this right, by the way. They do end up in the story. It ends up really good. So thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And, and, and look at scripture. Look at the history of the world. Most of the time, what have been, what have men been doing? What have they been doing? Ruling over women. Not what God created them to do. Don't come to me and tell me the Bible is a male chauvinist book. The Bible is the number one defense of women. It's trying to elevate women. It's trying to exalt women. You go back and you read through the laws and you read through this thing. I'm going to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. And it is entering into a lot of our theologies, a lot of our modern churches today. Well, the Bible was male chauvinist. No, it's not. God said this is not what it's supposed to be. Just because some preacher or some church perverts it doesn't mean that God didn't get it right. I'm feeling bold in the Holy Ghost tonight. And it's just the Word of God. We've got to let the Word of God. Men, headship in the home... Is not about you being a dominant ruler. It's about you being a leader. It's about you being responsible. It's not about you trampling over your spouse. She's your helpmeet, created from your side. She's your companion, bone of bone, flesh of flesh. So you are to serve, not to rule and be served. You are to love and to cherish. You are to rule. Well, all the women say, Praise the Lord. And all the men say amen. Amen. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Now, this is a very interesting thing. He says, you allowed the voice of someone else to cause you to rebel against God. And in this place, it's the one that he loved the most because you hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Well, wait a minute, God. I thought we were supposed to be companions. We're supposed to work together. So therefore, I'm off the hook because it's her fault. He said, no. You don't check your brain at the door when you work together and just all of a sudden decide what you two want to do apart from God. Right. Yes, sir. No, the Word of God is always the ultimate authority in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I... I Because thou hast varkened, hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. So here's what you did. Look at what he says. And this is mercy. God, does, he curses the serpent and he curses the ground, but he doesn't curse Adam and Eve. He says, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. I'm not going to curse you, Adam. I'm going to curse the entire earth. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow or in pain shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also. Thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. What God is saying here, first of all, He's given them a change from the Garden of Eden where they had everything provided for them, given to them freely. And what God is saying here is He's saying, I'm going to let the world take its natural course. And you're going to have to deal with it. Thorns and thistles. Things are going to come up. I've been trying to get grass to grow in my yard for three years. With the help of my brother-in-law, we wiped out the entire yard and we replanted everything. I did all the soil samples and I bought all the right stuff. Put all the smelly fertilizer on the yard. Went out there Tried to be like Brother Kessler. My dream is to have a yard that looks like Brother Kessler someday. <clears throat> and tried to spray all the clover. Now I don't know what happened this summer. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you this, my yard is cursed. Thorns and thistles. It's not even grass. I don't even know where it came from. Overtaking the yard. This is the reality. You're in sweat of your brow, in labor and pain, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. This is the reality. You're going to have to struggle. There's going to be strife and you're working in this life. So if Monday mornings are Monday mornings to you, it's because you're human. And there's no way to escape that. Certain ways we try but it's going to be in pain. The sweat of thy brow. And then He says this, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. This is the first mention of death. And this is the beginning of death in humanity where God pronounces to Him, He said, now because... You hearkened unto the voice Because you stepped outside. You, You tried to achieve things apart from God. Now, there will be death that enters in and this cursed ground that you are going to toil and you are going to strive and you are going to fight. When your life is over, you're going to return to dust. Doesn't matter what you do. This is what you return to. People have been fighting this for thousands of years. Mummification. Trying to preserve their body somehow so that they could avoid what's happening now. People freezing their bodies. Uh, And celebrities escape my mind, but there's a host of celebrities that are setting up things and, and freezing their bodies and and setting up endowments to pay for this until someday, if ever, man creates the technological ability to revive somebody, they can be revived. God says it's not going to happen. Your soul is departed from there. Your your body is returning to the dust of the earth. This is a pretty heavy pronouncement. This is a pretty. This is a pretty heavy blow to somebody that has lived in the Garden of Eden, that has had everything that God... Remember I said it the other day, the other week when we were talking, I said, God puts them in the garden and He gave them one rule. You only had one rule and you blew it. Everything they could want was right there. Now here comes such a heavy handed word. I will multiply thy sorrow. In sorrow you will bring forth your children, your desires going to be contrary to your husband and he's going to rule over you and Adam, the ground is cursed, and you're gonna strive and you're gonna work. It's gonna be painful. Thorns and thistles where you didn't plant it. It's constantly gonna tend to decay and chaos and overtake, and you're gonna struggle all of your life, and then it's gonna seem as if it was vain because then just like that, you return back to the dust of the earth. What hope is there? He's given this heavy weight and now they're left, they're left to bear this. I mean, at this point, you would want to give up, except before God ever spoke a word of what would ensue, of what he would do in them, he gave hope. It shall bruise thy head and you shall bruise his heel. Thank you. Yeah. It was all the hope that Adam needed to hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And Adam in the middle of all of that, thank God, he held on. The, wow, it's heavy, but he said, it shall bruise thy head. There was hope. Yes. And then the beauty of Scripture, as only Scripture can do, we go to the very next verse, which at first glance seems so misplaced. What does this have to do with the story? Look at what he says in verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Does that seem out of place to you? Like, we're talking about pain. We're talking about suffering. We're talking about all these problems. We're talking about, I mean, for the rest of eternity, we're still dealing with all this chaos today in 2021. And the next verse says, oh, this would be a good place to put in what Adam decided to call his wife. Seems a little misplaced unless you realize what the text is telling us. That in the middle of the most oppressive and depressing word that you could ever get pronounced over you, Adam did not lose hope. But he turns to the one who just moments before he was thrown under the bus. And he turns to her and he says, Eve, which means life giver. Eve, I'm not going to call you woman anymore. I'm not just going to call you bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But I'm now going to call you life giver. Yeah. You who will bear pain You, who will desire to be contrary to me, I will want to rule over, but I'm going to call you life giver. He names her, and in that moment, he gives her a tribute of honor, and he gives her a tribute of intention. It's not over. We're not finished. And in that moment of failure when Adam could have walked away and been angry and been locked in that state, had given up, even dared to take his own life, Adam chose hope. And Adam chose to speak life in the middle of a curse. I'm here to preach to somebody tonight that there's enough hope in the gospel that you can speak life in the middle of a curse yes, sir. I know what you've done I know where you've been I know what your future looks like but I'm going to call you life giver Because God put us together and we're in this thing till the end. We're going to let God work through us. I know it's going to be a struggle. I know we're going to have struggle in marriage. I know we're going to have fight. But you are life giver. I'm giving you a place of honor. I'm giving you a place of tribute. And Adam chose to speak life. I'm telling you it's time that we stop letting the curse bear the banner of negativity across us, and it's time we start speaking life. I know the world's going to hell in a handbasket, as they say, but I'm not here to just rehash the curse. That's already been spoken. I'm here to speak life in the middle of a curse, in the middle of judgment. God can step inside of your mess, and God can work something out. Hallelujah. hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. What happens? Somebody said, well, what happens? What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? What happens if that happens? Stop focusing on all of that. Yeah. Ha, I'm going to stay with God. I'm going to stick with God. Hallelujah. Adam learned his lesson, I think. Okay, I don't want to make any more mistakes. Every morning he went out, it was a reminder. I don't want to make any more mistakes. How long did they live? 900 and... 30 was it 36 years? 930? Thank you. 930 years? That's a That's a long marriage. They had some figured out. It's a long time. You learn some things. God's good. Here in this moment, Adam chose not to rule over her, but to memorialize her and her, her significance. Instead of ruling over her, he said, I'm going to memorialize your significance. You are the mother of all living. God chose you. God chose us. It was, that's a beautiful ending to a horrible part of the story. And they put it in there. So I thought it was misplaced, and still I kept digging it out, and I thought, well, that's an odd place to put it. where Adam calls his wife's name Eve. But you see, the story doesn't leave us with with doubt and leave us down, it gives us hope. And the two places it gives us hope is number one, in what Adam did. But then if you look at this in verse 21, and unto Adam also and to his wife, and we'll pause here tonight, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now we'll talk, we'll pick back up here. Next week, and we'll we'll cover specifically with regard to clothing because this is the first mention of clothing so it has some significance here. But this heavy pronouncement of pain and curse is left with hope. Adam calls his wife life giver. And the Lord provides what they need. They had, they had sewn together fig leaves, but that wasn't adequate. I can't sew very well, and I've tried. Imagine trying for the first time. That probably wasn't very good. Wasn't going to shelter them. It wasn't going to keep them warm. Wasn't going to protect them. May not even been hiding much. And so God says, no, no, that's, that's not going to do. And so God, in the middle of their sin, He says, I'm going to provide what they can't provide. He gives to us the portrait of the first sacrifice because, because of their sin. It should have been Adam and Eve that died. But there was the shedding of blood, the atonement of an animal, and as they wore those skins, they were literally covered by the sacrifice. I'm going to tell you, you know what we are tonight? We are clothed in His righteousness. When you see me, you don't see my goodness. Peter said, it's not my godliness that does anything like this. But it's by His name, by faith in His name, that God is able to do this for me. I just, I feel tonight. I don't know if somebody, I know we have several that text me watching online tonight. I just felt tonight that somebody needs to speak life. Speak life. Come on, God's providing. Don't look at all these things. I know life, we can be like Jacob and say, all these things are against me. When in reality, Jacob, God is working it all out for your good. God's about ready to enrich you and your people and He's about ready to save you guys and bring you through a famine and put you on top. You know what? I I, I just refuse to believe that the next pandemic, I'm sure there's going to be a next. The next pandemic, the next crisis, I just refuse to believe that it's going to wipe the church out. Because everywhere I read, when there's a famine, God's people come out on top. Instead of speaking to all the negativity, speak life. Speak life. Come on, who cares where you've been and what you've done? Who cares what your past says? Who cares what people did to you? It's time to stand up and speak life Giver. I'm going forward. I, I know I made a mess with my life, but, but there's a future. There's a promise. Why? Because God gave me a hope. It shall bruise thy head. You shall bruise his heel. Hallelujah. Messiah is coming. Come on. Would you stand together with me tonight? Come on. Can we lift our hands all across this place? Come on. Somebody, can you just begin to speak life? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. God, you're ministering, Lord. God, I thank you for the touch of your spirit. I thank you for your word. I speak life tonight. God, I speak life tonight. God, against past sin and run wicked.